And we're in, in Genesis chapter 41, and I'm going to spare you. I'm not going to read the whole thing here this morning. And so we'll be taking uh, specific verses. When two years had passed, two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Down to verse 8. And in the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all of his magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. Where he had sha- where, when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, can interpret it. I cannot, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to, to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river came seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed upon the reeds. After them seven other cows came, came up scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the, all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, and growing on a single stalk. After them, several other, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but they, none could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of God are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven good years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up after the seven, afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept for the years that are coming. This food should be kept in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find a man like this man one in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to you. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. In uh, 2016, I, I went on sabbatical for the summer. 
and we were going to be gone for much of the summer, so we decided that uh, we, had a, we had a very large vegetable garden, and we decided that that year we weren't going to plant anything in the garden. But then as we got to thinking, we thought, no, if we don't plant it, then there'll be weeds and everything else. So we went out and we had uh, zinnia seeds. And I don't know if some of you know what a zinnia is. It's a beautiful flower. Uh, it flowers easily, and there's all different varieties of it, all different colors. And a few years before that, I had seen some friends, and they had a huge zinnia bed, just like, like this whole size of this place up here. It was all full of zinnias, just beautiful. And I thought, hey, I'd like to do that. So we started, we went out and bought some seed. Last time we ever bought seed for zinnias. And when it was done, when the season was over, I took all the heads, and I, ke- I kept the seeds, and they dried out. And then the next spring, we planted a border around the garden of all zinnias. Beautiful. But when we went away on sabbatical, I thought, well, what if I just planted the whole garden in zinnias? It was gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous to go out there and look at all these flowers. I mean, the garden was just solid flowers in in the garden. There were hummingbirds. There were all different kinds of butterflies. Becca is a beekeeper, and so her bees were just all over the place in in those flowers. But what started out as those zinnia, what started out as a zinnia seed, and what you saw at the end of summer were two very, very different things. Why do I say this? Because it says in the book of John that unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it will not produce anything. The Joseph that we met in chapter 37 is not the same Joseph that we're going to meet today in chapter 41. God has done some changing in his life. And the thing that that we're going to see today is that while Joseph waits, God is doing a refining in his heart. And there's going to be six areas that God is going to be working on in his life. The first, and these are not in your notes, the first one is trust. The second one is, is integrity. I don't know, the second one is integrity. The third is humility. And I'm going to be going back over these again. The fourth one is God-honoring service. God-honoring, God-glorifying service. The fifth one is forgiveness. And the sixth one is gratefulness. Those things we're going to see, God is going to be doing an amazing work in his life. But it starts out, it doesn't start out good for Joseph because it says in Genesis 40:23. The chief bearer, how, chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. Now, again, some of you, you're, you're here today, you haven't been in on the series, or you're new to the church. Who or what is a cupbearer? The cupbearer to the, to the king, he was the one who, before the king, before Pharaoh ever ate anything, before he ever drank anything, it was first handed to him, and they would watch him. If he died, well, then they knew that the Pharaoh didn't get that food. But what also happened between the chief cupbearer and the pharaoh or a king was that they formed a very, very close relationship, almost like a confidant. And so they would would talk. And so when the cupbearer is sent into the prison, I wonder if Joseph's heart didn't beat a little faster because he thought, oh, here's a guy who has the ear of, of the pharaoh. And yet when Joseph told him his dream and his dream turned out exactly like it is, Joseph says to him before he gets released from prison, he says, remember me. And what does the cupbearer do? He promptly forgets him. He promptly forgets all about Joseph, and not just for a little while. Can you imagine Joseph sitting there in prison? Okay, any day now. Have you ever waited for something, and you're thinking, okay, it's going to come in the mail today. I'm going to get the phone call today. It's going to happen today. And today passes. And Okay, tomorrow it's going to happen. I wonder how many days Joseph walked through that time of where he thought, okay, today today I'm going to be released from this prison. And he wasn't. It says, in fact, it starts out in chapter 1 here, or chapter 41, verse 1. It says, after two full years, 
That is a very interesting way of saying that because normally in the Old Testament, when they give any amount of time, if they say like it's four and a half years, they'll just round it up to five years. But when they make this distinction, two full years, that's what it means. It was two full years that Joseph waited in that prison for, for, for this guy to remember. But I wonder about that. Because in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, In the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world. In the fullness of time, when God determined it was the right time, he sent his son into the world. When God determined it was the right time here for Joseph to be released, he did what? He caused the cupbearer. Oh, yeah, but not only that. Not only that, he caused Pharaoh to have a dream. And the, the interesting here is that when God sets about to do something, he knows exactly where you are. He knew exactly where Joseph was. And in that time, he was doing a work in Joseph's heart. He was saying to Joseph, will you trust me? He's working on this area of trust. And as we look at that area of trust, I think about us as parents. As parents, sometimes we do too much for our kids. We, we, don't, help, we don't help them to learn to develop that area of trust in their, in their lives. When I, was, uh, when I was 22 years old, I was preparing to go to the Philippines for the summer with uh, what was called Alliance Youth Corps. I was at Crown College, and they had a thing where you could go for the summer and you could go on a mission trip. And so I was going to the Philippines, and I had to raise a certain amount of money. It came down to five days before it was time to go. I didn't have my money. I was short $1,500, and I thought, okay, I, I, I'm short. But even before that, I had gone to our pastor at our church, and I said, would it be okay for me to stand up at church and tell the church people about what it is that I'm doing this summer? His answer shocked me. He said, no. And I'm like, what do you mean, no? I've seen your kids up here doing the same thing I'm asking about. Do you tell me no? And he said, no. And he said, this is why I'm telling you this, Joel. He said, because I want you to learn to trust God. You're going to need to trust God for this. If God is really in this, then you're going to need to learn to trust him. Five days, it came down to five days before it was time to go. A lady from the church, a single lady that I would never in a million years have thought of, she called me. She had to tell me her name. And I'm, so I'm talking to her, and she said, after a bit of short talk, she said, how much do you need to go? And I said, I need $1,500. And she said, pack your bags, you're going. She said, I'll take care of that. Did I learn to trust God in that way? And all throughout, I did. And all throughout our, my Christian life and my early married life, God taught us to trust him. And as parents, one of the things we need to allow is we need to allow for our children to learn to trust God. And there are things that we can do for our kids, and there are things that we maybe shouldn't do for our kids. Let them learn what it means to have to trust God. Let them learn what it means to have to pray and to, and to watch and to, and to wait upon God to provide in his timing. Part of what we do as parents is to train our kids to be able to launch our kids. And once our children are out of the nest, they're going to have to learn. They're going to have to learn to trust God. They're going to have to learn to pray. And they're going to have to learn to wait upon God for what it is. And in this time of waiting, God is working on Joseph's heart to, for, for him to learn to trust him. Because I imagine Joseph thought, okay, now I'm going to be released after this guy went back. But after two full years, it isn't until after two full years that God begins to work. Was God's timing perfect? Okay, let me say it a little louder. Was God's timing perfect? Absolutely. God's timing is perfect in your life too. What you are waiting on, what you've been praying on, if God is in this, God will bring it about in his timing. 
Will you trust him? And will you say, God, thank you for this time of waiting? Because in this time of waiting, God is doing what? He's refining. He's refining your soul. He's causing you to trust him. Not only that, when you see God show up and do in your life what only God could do, what does that do to your faith and what does that do to you for your trust? It strengthens it, doesn't it? It strengthens it. Joseph was learning to trust God during this time. Would he need that later on? He absolutely would. Your children are learning to trust, and they will also learn to trust as they see you trusting in God. Are there things that you're walking through right now that you are absolutely having to trust God in? You're serving also as an example. And when you get frustrated, when you get angry, why isn't this happening any quicker? You're teaching your kids how to respond as well to that. Trust. God's at work. God is at work in in Pharaoh's life. And God is at work around. God was at work in Pharaoh's life because in the fullness of time, God determined when Pharaoh should have this dream. And Pharaoh has a dream. And he can't, and he can't he, nobody can tell him what that dream means. Was God at work in Pharaoh's life? God is at work all around us. Listen to this scripture. You're going to be getting more of this later on in the fall because I'm going to be doing a whole series on this called Experiencing God. But in John chapter 5, verse, verse uh, 17, Jesus says this. He says, My father is always at his work, to this ver- and to this very day I too am working. God is always at work around it. And as, as I read that again for this week, I'm like, okay, God, I, I, I get that. I get that, but I don't see that. The apartment complex that I live in, it, it's, it's all people who speak Chinese. The, there are some Filipinos there, some Indonesian helpers that are there. But by and large, there's not a lot of white skin in the, in the apartment complex. That, and even white skin, they're not usually from America or whatever. But that doesn't matter. But I, I'm saying to God, it's like, okay, God, I get it. You're working in the life of, that, of that, that guard right there. You're working in the life of that person that I'm sitting next to on the minibus who I don't even know who they are. Um, you're working, God, in all those people's lives. But God, I don't see where it is that you're working. How, I don't see how it is that I can be involved in what it is that you're doing. Because God not only is at work all around us, but when God shows us what it is that he's doing, that is your invitation to join him in what he's doing. Look at what it says as well as we go down. Uh, verse 19, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son, watch this, and shows him all that he does. God is at work all around you. That person sitting in the cockpit next to you is somebody whose life God is at work in. That patient who sits down in your dentist chair is somebody in whose life God is at work in. That person who comes into your clinic is somebody in whose life God is working. That employer that you work for is somebody in whose life you're working for. That person standing next to you on the minibus or on the MTR is somebody in whose life you're working. Every single person that you come in contact, every person that you see is a life in which God is at work in. And as Christians, we need to be saying, okay, God, if you were at work all around me, then, Lord, would you show me where it is that you were at work? Would you open my eyes? Would you open my ears? How do we know when God is at work in somebody's life? There's a very easy way that you can tell. This is really huge right now. So if you're falling asleep, this is a good time to wake up. How do we know when God is at work in somebody's life? What are some of the markers? Scripture says that no one, no, one, uh, no one seeks after God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one that seeks after God. So, when you hear somebody talk to you about the Bible, 
about prayer, about God, about you going to church. Though your, your antenna should come up at that point. It's like, oh, oh, God is showing me where he is at work in this person's life. And whenever God shows you where it is that he is at work in somebody's life, that is his invitation to you to join him in what it is that he's doing in that life. It will always require of you a crisis of belief to join God in what it is that he's doing. Because we'll say, well, I don't have the time. I don't have the talent. Listen, when God takes the time to show you, when Almighty God takes the time to show you where he is at work in somebody's life, that is God saying to you, I want to invite you, warts and all, to join me in what it is that you're doing, what it is that I'm doing in this person's life. Because sometimes we say, God, what's your will? What's your will for my life? And that's not the way that God would answer it. God would say, this is my will. Join me in what it is that I'm doing. God was at work in Pharaoh's life. And God showed Joseph where it was that he was at work in, in, in Pharaoh's life. Pharaoh says, I heard, I heard that you can interpret the dreams. Look at Joseph. Look at in Joseph's life. He says, I can't. Talk about an opportunity of a lifetime for Joseph to be able to get out of prison he said, he, all he could have said when, when Pharaoh said, I hear you're the one who can interpret dreams. And Joseph could have said, uh-huh. But he didn't. You ever talk to somebody and thank them for something? Hey, you did a really good job on that. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. When somebody compliments you, say, thank you. Lord bless it. Praise the Lord. And Joseph, when he says, when, God, when Pharaoh says to him, I hear you're the one that can interpret the dreams, Joseph says, I can't. But God. Talk about integrity. Talk about integrity and humility on the part of Joseph. Are these things that he's going to need? He doesn't have a clue yet what, what God has in store for his life. All he knows at that point is God is at work in Pharaoh's life. And he has had a dream. And God, you've given him the, the ability to interpret dreams. He doesn't know that he's going to become the second highest ruler in all of the world. He doesn't know that at that point. But he says, I can't do it. But God... And he points, he keeps continually pointing to God. God is the one who can interpret your dreams. Look, look at this once. Watch this. Five different times Joseph points to God. He says in verse 16, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer. He says in verse 25, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed what he is about to do. Verse 28, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown what Pharaoh, he is about, Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then going on to verse 32, the reason for the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that it is a matter that has firmly been decided by God and God will do it soon. God, 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 God. He keeps pointing him to God. Talk about integrity. Talk about humility on, on his part. And not only that, but God honoring service. Everywhere Joseph goes, whether it's in Potiphar's house, whether it's in the prison, and whether it's going to be later on now in the palace. Everywhere he goes, he is a man of integrity and he is a man of humility. I liken this, I hearken this back to us now as parents and as families, because this whole series is on families. How are we doing in that area of integrity? Parents, you are modeling integrity for your children. Dads, whether you know it or not, whether your children see what it is that you do on the internet, whatever, you, whatever it is that you do in your hotel room, even though they don't see it, God sees it. And God calls us to be people of integrity because we're training our children. We're training our children. Will they be people of integrity? Will they be people of humility? 
Will they be people who honor and serve God? Honor and serve God. Joseph's service to the king. Joseph's service to the prison guard. And Joseph's service in Potiphar's house. We're all God-honoring. I was reading or watching a, uh, a thing on, on YouTube this week, and they were talking about um, people who were given things food-wise that was just, well, let me tell you a story. They, they were showing um, places where they had food that was in vending machines, like hamburgers or fish sandwich or something, and they were in a vending machine. Well, the one person got out a hamburger. It said it was a cheeseburger. And the guy looked at it from the outside. He said, I don't see any cheese. He took the bun off. There was a thin strip. Oh, yeah. It had cheese on it, albeit it was just a thin little strip of cheese. The other one, it was a fish sandwich. And from the outside, from it, as you looked into the window of it, it looked like there was a piece, there was a fish sandwich, a nice piece of fish in that sandwich. When the guy got it out and opened it up, there was a piece of fish about this wide at the very front of it. All the rest wasn't even cut up. It was just all the rest was bun. The last one they showed was the guy ordered, a guy ordered chicken soft-shell tacos. What he got? He got the soft-shell taco with each one of them had a chicken leg in it, a fried chicken leg in it with some sauce on it, a little bit of lettuce on it, and they called that a soft-shell chicken taco. Who's going to eat that? What does that tell me when I see something like that? That tells me whoever did that, it was like, whatever. I, I don't care. I'm not the one eating this. I'm just, I'm just doing this. This is just a job. Whatever Joseph does, whatever he does, God blesses it. Why? Because God is being glorified through it. Why? Because everywhere Joseph goes, it's evident. It is evident that he's serving the Most High God and that God's hand is upon his life. You know where I'm going with this. In our service, in whatever it is we do, you're serving your, serving your uh, employer, whether you're serving uh, with Cathay, whether you're at, at a dentist's office, I'm just looking around here at, at one of the hospitals here, whether you're retired, whether you're serving here at the church, whatever it, be, it might be that you are doing, we are called to serve in such a way that it honors God. That it not only honors God, but it glorifies God. Joseph, as God was working on him, he was working on his area of trust. Will you trust me, Joseph? Will you be a man of integrity and humility? Will you also be a man whose service will continue, even as you go to be the second most powerful man in the known world at that time? Will you remember me? Will you remember me and be humble? And throughout all of this, and I think about our, our work and what it is that we do. Are we just showing up? Yeah. Or are we serving in such a way? Because I, I guarantee, if we could see Christ and know that, okay, it's him that's across the table. It's him who's sitting in the right seat. It's him who's sitting in the chair with me. It's him whom I, I'm serving. If, if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that was Christ, I can tell you we would serve in a whole different way, wouldn't we? But he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. We serve in such a way that God has given glory. So as you go back to your, your, your employers, for some of you, you're in tough situations. You're in really tough situations. But serve as though you were serving Christ. Serve in such a way that God is seen in your life. Even if nothing changes with your employer, serve in such a way that God is honored because God is the one who honors faithfulness. God is the one when he is glorified, he brings blessing upon that which brings him glory. Serve in such a way. For others of us, 
in the jobs that we're in, the places that God has placed us, in those places, are we serving in such a way that God has seen in our lives? Because what does Pharaoh say? When Joseph gives the interpretation, he says, is there anybody else in whose life we've seen the hand of the divine God? I mean, again, it was evident three times now, for the third time, and which should we expect anything less from Joseph? But three times we've seen in Joseph's life that it's evident that God's hand is upon his life. And is it evident in us? It is evident in the way in which we serve. Because the way in which we serve is called to be God-honoring and God-glorifying. So four things are ready so far. God is building in Joseph's life. The first one? Dude, don't make me have to do this all over. <laughs> Trust. The second one that he's building into Joseph is integrity. The third one? Humility. The fourth one? God-honoring, God-glorifying service. This fifth one. As Joseph gives the interpretation of the dream. He says, this is what God is going to do. And then he gives his advice. Was this advice solicited? Was this advice, did, did Pharaoh say, now what would you do in this situation? He doesn't ask this question. But Joseph just feels, feels the need to share. Why? I wonder if it didn't come from all of Joseph's years of serving and being in an administrative position. He was in charge of Pharaoh's house, or he's in charge of Potiphar's house first. And I imagine there were times, okay, this is what we need to do in this situation. And then he was in charge of the prison. This is what we need to do in this situation. And as this, so this issue of the famine comes up, Pharaoh, this is what we need to do. And Joseph sets it out. You need to look for a wise and discerning man. Here's a key. Joseph doesn't stop and say, <clears throat> um, if you're looking for somebody, I'm not doing anything for the next several years. He doesn't do that. Be careful. Be very careful to maneuver. What's, the, what's it up here? I think that's number five. Joseph refused to put himself, put himself forward. Beware of maneuvering and scheming to get you what you want. It will never turn out. I, I know this from experience. The second church that I pastored, we had uh, a, one of the first board meetings I walked in. You could, you could have cut the tension in that room with a knife. And we had, it was like, both sides of the room, this side over here, they were, all, they were all connected either by family or they were all connected together. And that, that was this side over here. And I was over here on this side. You know what I thought for almost from day one is this. Okay, how do I get more people on my side than what's on the other side? That never works. Boy, God taught me a lesson about doing that. When you maneuver and you connive and you scheme to get what it is that you want, you may get what it is that you want, but it will never last and it will never amount to doing what? To building relationships in the church. Beware of this. Don't put yourself forward. God knows where you're at. He knows where you're at. And he's the one, if, it's, if he has something for you, he will tap you on the shoulder. I think about that. Last year at this time, we're back in the States and we're praying and we're saying, okay, God, are you serious? You, you, you're, you're wanting us to consider going to Hong Kong to, to leave everything here in the States, leave our home, leave our children, leave grandchildren, and, and, go, and go where? Go to Hong Kong. And then we came here and endured the heat in August. It was like, why, is this the place, God? And it was. It was. God knows where you're at. And when God determines that he wants you to join him in what it is that he's doing, the next thing we do determines what it is we believe about God. God knows where you're at. You don't need to put yourself forward. And Joseph, when he says this, Pharaoh says, you're the man. 
you're the man. And Joseph goes from being in prison to being the second most powerful man in the known world at that time. And all of those things that God was pouring into Joseph's life, would he need them? Trust? Was he going to need to trust God for the next 14 years? Oh boy. Was he going to need integrity? Yes, he was. Was he going to need humility? Yes, he was. Was he going to need to be someone who served in such a way that Almighty God was seen? He was. And Joseph, everything that he didn't have as a prospect. Remember over the last several weeks we talked about Joseph didn't have much as far as prospects. He had no prospect of going home. Well, what, was, what was left for him at home? Nothing. What was left for him at home were brothers who sold him down the river. He didn't have any prospect of advancement. When he got into the prison, he got as high as what he was in the prison. He wasn't going any further. There's no prospect of getting married. There's no prospect of getting out of prison. In one fell swoop, God takes care of three of those. He is going to go home eventually. He is going to go home eventually when his father dies. But while he's there, God takes care of all those things. And God gives him, or Pharaoh gives him a wife, an Egyptian wife. And every day that Joseph looks at his kids, he has two kids. He names them Manasseh and Ephraim. And every day that he looks at those kids, he sees the faithfulness of God. How do I know that? The names. He doesn't give them Egyptian names. He gives them Hebrew names. The first is Manasseh. Manasseh, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me to forget all of my troubles and all of my father's household. I don't think for a second Joseph ever thought that he was going to see his brothers again. It's been... He was 17 years old when he, leaves, when he leaves Canaan. He is 30 years old when he starts working for Pharaoh. He won't see his brothers until after the seven years of, of plenty and probably either the first or second year into the famine. So how old is that? He's 37, 38, 39, possibly even 40 years old when he sees a dusty group of guys come walking in, all bearded, smelling like the road after how many weeks of being on the road. And with a gasp in his throat, he realizes these are his brothers. And as they come and kneel down before him, he realizes the dreams that God has given him some years ago. With Joseph, God has done a work in his life to help him forget. But I think not only just forget. It's one thing to forget. It's another to forgive. Time heals all wounds, we hear. No, it does not. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is what heals the wounds. Had Joseph received a lot from his brothers? Yes, he had. To be able to forgive, because how do we know that Joseph forgave? When he sees his brothers for the first time, he doesn't, he doesn't say, kill all those scum. I mean, they, they, they sold me down the river. They threw me in the pit. Get rid of them all. He doesn't say that. He doesn't come running after Potiphar's wife and say, you falsely accused me and I sat in prison. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that because he's learned to forgive. Is that something else that God was doing in his heart while he was sitting, while he was waiting? That's the fifth one. He learned forgiveness. Would he need to learn this in a very powerful way? Yes, because in a few years, a dusty group of ten guys is going to come in front of him. And did he truly forgive them? Did he truly forgive? You know, I think about as us as parents and families. Forgiveness is a tough one. Especially when we feel that we've been wronged and wronged in a very 
difficult way. And the choice we have is to continue on carrying that. Carrying that that hurt in our heart. Carrying that bitterness. Carrying that anger. Or will I, as Joseph did, learn to forgive? And whenever that comes up before me, I choose. I choose in Christ's strength and in his power to give that over to him. And I choose to remember it no more. Joseph learned forgiveness. At what point do we as parents, at what point do we as individuals here, at what point do we forgive? At what point do we stop carrying whatever load it is, whatever bitterness it is, and give that over to the Lord? Joseph learned, learned forgiveness. But there's one last thing that he learned. The next son's name is Ephraim. The second son he named Ephraim, and he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The last one that he learned was gratefulness. Gratefulness. God, all that I have is because of you. I, I, came, I came to Egypt on the back of a camel or came to, to Egypt being tied to the back of a camel. You saw where I was. You saw that I spent those years languishing in the prison. You saw all there was. And God, I look out now and I see two children. You've blessed me with children. You've put me in a position that I never in a million years would have thought that I would be in. God, you have so blessed me. And God, I am grateful. And every day that he looked at his children, every time that he called their name, I have chosen to forgive. I have been, God has been so gracious towards me. And I think about us as families again. Are you grateful for what it is that God is doing in your life? Let me say that a little louder. Are you grateful for what it is that God's doing? Tough as well as good. Because you may have a good season, but you may also be ready to walk into a difficult season. In the fullness of time, God, God decides. And in that time, will it be a time where you learn to trust God? Or will it be a time where you fall back on yourself? I think I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it one last time. It's in the area of trust, what God does to build trust into our lives. When I was first married... Beck and I were, were married. We were living in our first apartment. I was going to Bible college. And uh, even though I was going to Bible college, I wasn't walking with the Lord very well at all. Becca grew up in a pastor's home, and so she expected me to be like her dad, Pastor Ketzel. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't her dad, and I told her at one point, if you would have wanted to marry someone like your dad, uh, you should have looked a little harder because I'm, I'm not your dad. And she had been talking to me about tithing, about giving back, giving back to God portion of our, what we made. Now, we weren't making much. I was working at a grocery store part-time, going to school full-time, and Becca was working at a bank full-time. We had this teeny, tiny little uh, Ford Escort, and we, you know, we, just, we didn't have much. And I was studying one night, and she came to me, and she said, um, we've been talking about tithing. She said, I've been doing some calculation, and she said, if, if we were to tithe, if, if, if we were to this is what we have to live on for the next two weeks. And I looked at it and it's like, it's pretty tight, but I think we can do it. Then she said, okay, here's the figure of what it would be, what we have to live on the next two weeks if we tithed. And I'm like, oh, there's, there's no way. There's no way. Was, I said, that's enough to put gas in the tank for two weeks. And she said, yeah. And she said, if we're ever going to learn to trust God, I wonder if, if it isn't now. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And so I said, okay, let's, 
let's trust God. Remember, I'm not walking very closely with the Lord. I'm going to Bible college. I'm going to be a missionary, but it's like, what a hypocrite. And God brought me through this time. And, he, and so the next day, the next day I was walking to school, and Becca's cousin and her husband, her husband, her, Becca's cousin's husband was going to the school. And they were as poor as what we were. And he came walking up by me, and he put his hand out. And I thought, okay, I'll shake your hand. And so I shook his hand, and I realized he put something into my hand. And he turned around, and he said, just shut up and take it. God told me to give it to you. And when he passed, and I opened up my hand, it was $20. And I thought, he's as poor as we are, God. Why would he do that? And then I finished up my day at the school, and I went to where I worked at the grocery store. Now, the owner of the grocery store, thankfully, rarely came into the store because he was a great big tall man, 6'5", and probably went about 280. He was just a, a huge man, large voice. And whenever he would come into the store, I was a manager. He would yell for the where the manager is. He would yell, well, I want to see the manager. And so he'd bring me up there, and he'd say, do you know that every single one of these, every time, he said, do you know that every one of these brown paper bags cost me a nickel apiece? He said, you got to make, make very careful of how it is that you use these bags. And so he went on, and so then he took me into the back room where we had all the, the back stock. And there was a pile of stuff there in the corner of food, and he said, what's that? And I said, oh, that's the food that when the guys open up the boxes, if they're not careful with the box cutter, they open up the box inside. And he goes, what are we going to do with that? And I said, I don't know. I said, we can't sell it, send it back to the uh, manufacturer. He said, well, you're a young college student. Why don't you take it home? And so I'm looking at all this food, and it's like, okay, I could do that. I could do that. And so I'm thinking, oh, praise the Lord. We got some food. And then we went into the refrigerated coolers where they had the milk and the butter and the eggs and things like that. And he goes, what's that? There was a gallon of milk. It was what we called a leaker. It, uh, it evident the seal had come loose on it, and the milk had come out. And, he, and I, he goes, what are you going to do with that? And I said, well, we'll probably take it into the deli. They'll use it for making pudding or something. He goes, no, they're not. He said, you're a young college student. You take that home. And I'm thinking, thank you, God. You provided us with, with food. You provided us with milk. And so it's like, I can't wait to tell Becca. I got $20. I got food, and I got milk. It's like, this is good. And Becca, when she was at work, there was a guy who shot a bunch of pheasants. They're like um, quail. Uh, it's a bird. And he, said, he came up to Becca. He rarely talked to her. And he came up, and he kind of was walking by, and he stopped, and he went back, and he said, Hey, do you like pheasant? He said, I went out to one place this, this summer or this fall, and he said, I shot a whole bunch of pheasants. He said, I got more in my freezer than what I could ever eat. He said, tell you what. He never even allowed her to, to talk. He said, tell you what. He said, I'll go to lunch, and I'll bring back a bunch of pheasant for you guys. And Becca's thinking, all right, we've never eaten pheasant before, but thank you, Lord, for providing the pheasant. And then when we got home, I, I, I couldn't wait to tell her, Becca, we got $20, we got groceries. I said, remember we prayed last night, and we talked about tithing, and we're going to tithe, and look at what God did. And she said, then she pulls out all these pheasant for us. She said, look at these birds. I said, I don't know how to use them, but well, God's provided. And then we got, a, just after we talked about it, then we got a telephone call. Her cousin, the same one whose husband had given me the $20, she said, you guys need to come over tomorrow. This was late November in the States, very cold. And she said, you need to come over tomorrow. She said, I hit a deer on the way home. And she said, it's hanging up in the backyard on a tree. And she said, we got we to divvy up this meat. Okay, I'd never eaten venison before, but okay, God, you provided. And in just that, that fell swoop, two days, two days, God said, I can take care of you. I can provide for you. Will you trust me? And I think about us as parents. I think about us as singles. I think about us as kids. God is at work in your life in the fullness of time. 
God will do what it is that he's wanting to do. But in the meantime, he is working to refine your hearts and your souls. And it begins with that issue of trust. Will you trust him? He is worthy of our trust. And I have had time, I tell you a lot more stories about how God down the road continues to work on that area of trust. And God is at work in your life. Maybe you know Christ already. That doesn't mean God's not at work in your life. God is always at work in your life. He is pursuing you to have a relationship with you, a relationship that is, that is built upon love, is built upon his purity, and is built upon his desire for you. He is pursuing you to have a relationship with you. I don't think for a second Joseph envisioned what was going to happen to him when God gave him the dreams. And Joseph still doesn't know the end of those dreams. That's next week as we talk about when Joseph meets his brothers for the first time. All the things that God was working in, he was going to need when he worked with his brothers, every single one of them. And all that God is doing in your life, he is doing for a reason. He's doing it so that when you come out of that, your relationship will be stronger in him. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the word this morning, and thank you, God, that you are pursuing us. Thank you that you are at work. You are always at work all around us. And God, I don't understand, um, but Lord, would you open our ears, and Lord, would you open our eyes? Because you say that because you love us, you show us where it is that you are at work. And God, for some of us, we, we work in a, in a place with, with little kids all day. We work for a tough employer, or we work in a, in a doctor's office. We work in the cockpit of an airplane. We work in a plumber, uh, as a plumber. We work as an electrician, whatever it might be. And God, we, we often don't realize how much you were at work all around us. But God, as your children... As your children, you've called us to be aware of what it is that you're doing. And Lord, and not only to be aware, but to join you in what it is that you're doing. When Joseph heard what it was that you were doing, he knew that that was an invitation to join you. But he waited for you to continue to open the door. God, would you help us as we wait? For some of us, we're in the throes of college right now. Or we're in the throes of waiting for a college. Some of us are waiting for a loved one to come back to the Lord. Some of us are waiting for a prodigal child to return to the Lord. Some of us are in that holding pattern right now. And God, in the midst of that time of waiting, you are doing a work of refining. Lord, would you continue to build that trust? Would you continue to allow us to be men and women of integrity? Would you continue to shape and form us into people who are humble? who serve you in a way that brings glory to you and not to us. You said in your word, it is not for us. It is not for us, O Lord, but it is for your glory. Lord, we never receive any glory. It all goes back to you. And God, you are working as well in many of our lives to forgive. That can only be done through your strength and through your power, but at what point do we give it back to you? God, would you help us to trust you with the hurts And would you trust us to lay those things down? And God, would you help us to be truly grateful? You have blessed us in so many ways. There are people around this world who, they wonder where their next meal is going to come from, and we just walk across the street. They wonder where they're going to sleep at night, and we complain about their mattress. God, you have blessed us in so many ways. 
And I just pray that, God, you would enable us to be grateful. And I pray that, God, our lives would be a testimony of your grace and of your mercy. And we pray this, Father, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now may our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, the one who is at work in your life, the one who is at work around your life, may he give you eyes to see, may he give you ears to hear, and may he give you a heart to join him in what it is that he's doing. To the grace and to the glory of God, I pray. Amen. Amen.